Hello, hello, everyone. I'm Arden Elizabeth, and I'd like to welcome you to It's the Wine Talking, a weekly podcast filled with wit, wine, and occasional wisdom. To accompany this week's episode, I'm drinking a wine from various states. You've heard this brand name on my podcast before, largely because wine selection in our current location leaves a lot to be desired. But repeating wines in Thailand also happens because wine is taxed at ludicrously high rates. What do I mean by ludicrous? Try 380% when all is said and done for an imported bottle of the good stuff. That means a $15 bottle we might have splurged on back in California will cost us nearly $60 here. And that's before stores dial up their prices for unsuspecting tourists who haven't quite figured out the currency conversion. Now, let's return to the wine at hand. I'm back to bin 999, whatever that means, from Berry Estates. It's a dry red wine, variety as usual, unknown, that doesn't offend my palate and only sets me back 310 baht, or around 850. It's this local beer or equally overpriced Jack Daniels, and so I clutch Australian's version of Two Buck Chuck Close, grateful they had more than White Zinfandel at the local convenience store. Today, we're kicking off a new series, Lies I Tell While Traveling. But before we get to this week's lie, you should know that I take honesty very seriously. Oh, everyone says that, you say? Well, they're lying to you. Growing up, I didn't lie to my parents, and if I did something wrong that they were not likely to discover on their own, I'd feel so guilty about it that I'd confess my mistake and willingly accept the punishment any normal child could have avoided. I recall cheating on tests only twice in my entire academic career, on just one question in each instance, when I'd let my eyes wander to another student's paper and convince myself that I'd known the answer already. Who knows if that was, in fact, the truth, but I felt bad about it almost instantly. Many of you may have done this and felt the same way. No one's perfect, but a regular human would probably convince themselves that they would have gotten the answer eventually and promise to themselves, in private, that next time they'd keep their eyes on their own paper. But not honest Arden! On the next test for each class, I made sure to choose a question of equal value that I definitely knew the answer to. And then I got it wrong. On purpose. That's what a commitment to honesty looks like. I also probably admitted this to my parents for additional punishment. Fast forward to today, I work as an independent contractor, charging clients by the hour for work I complete each month. Many freelancers bill more hours than they work since clients can rarely prove otherwise. Admittedly, I too round my monthly totals to the nearest half hour because billing by minutes is the definition of insanity. It's been suggested to me more than once that I don't need to be so precise, that companies expect freelancers to inflate their hours, that it's okay to make a few extra bucks off the man. But it's not okay for me. Being honest is far too important. As I've aged, however, I've realized two things about honesty. First, not everyone is deserving of my trust and my truth, but that's a story for another day. Secondly, sometimes a white lie makes everyone's lives a little bit easier, a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more pleasant. Now, 
I'm not saying people should go living fake lives, hiding their true feelings, or keeping secrets from their loved ones. I'm just saying that leaving out a small detail, adding a positive spin, or putting off the truth doesn't always warrant the pains of guilt that a younger, honest Arden would have been tortured by. With nearly three decades of life behind me, I have finally decided that sometimes it's okay to fib a little. Which brings us to the first white lie that has become commonplace during my travels. Nice to meet you. My name is Rebecca. If you know me in the real world or have paid any attention to this podcast, you probably are aware that my name isn't Rebecca. It's Arden. Now, I want to be clear. I love my name. In fact, you might say I'm a little obsessed with it. I don't know what you wrote essays about in your college applications, but for a few schools I applied to, there was an open-ended prompt where you could share whatever you wanted in 500 words. I wrote about my name because when you have an unusual, memorable name, you have two options. Either try and sneak back quietly into the corner while no one will notice you, or embrace your name fame and use it to your advantage. As a girl who started a podcast for people to listen to her talk about basically nothing, you can imagine which camp I fall into. That essay was obviously baller because I got into every school I applied to. Sorry, not sorry. Also, when I walked in for an interview at one school, I was greeted with, oh, you wrote that essay about your name. So it was a completely brilliant move. But the problem with the name Arden is that it's hard enough to explain to people when English is their first language. Believe me, my boyfriend called me Aiden several times when we first met, though he swears it was only twice. Back in the States, I often rely on saying, it's like garden without the G, which incidentally will probably be the title of my first book. But in a world where American-born and bred baristas write argon, like the chemical element, on my coffee cup, I have learned that sometimes it pays to have an alias. I've toyed with a few pseudonyms throughout my life. There's the obvious one, Elizabeth, my middle name. But frankly, that's just too many syllables, and it took me longer than it should have to learn how to spell it. Laura, my aunt's name, is also a good option. We look so alike that our family gets us and our names confused. Though really, if I'm choosing a name I'm familiar with, it usually came out as Arlara or Larden, which aren't great. There's Carol, my mom's name. While I didn't call my mom by her first name, that would be weird. I did frequently make phone calls on her behalf, pretending at her request that it was actually Carol making the call. Because when you raise a child who loves to run her mouth as much as I did, you might as well use her to your advantage. Hi, this is Carol calling to let you know that my son won't make it to soccer practice. Or, oh, hello, I'm calling about my car insurance bill. There's an unusual charge that I'd like to have removed. I had all her account information in front of me. I knew her birth date, social security number, and her mother's maiden name, which neither of us know how to spell, so it was an authentic replacement. Our voices at the time sounded enough alike that I could say, I'm sorry, could you hold on for just a moment? Then I could tell my mom what was going on and pass her the phone. Yes, you must be thinking, I was a very helpful child. And no, I did not take advantage of my imitation skills and knowledge of my mother's personal details. Were you not listening when I explained my commitment to honesty? Alas, I digress. I didn't choose any of these familiar names for my travels around the world. 
The name I chose came from my five years in San Francisco and a fateful Craigslist apartment hunt that landed me in a great group of friends, a group that happened to include two wonderful ladies named Rebecca. Rebecca number one, or Becca as we tend to call her, is the centrifugal force by which our social group stays together. When anyone asks you how you met someone else in the group, the answer is always Becca. When telling the story of how I met Miles, Becca is prominently featured. She is a super connector amongst super connectors who loves the color salmon and anything that sparkles. So naturally, we bonded over a glittery teal nail polish I was wearing the first day we met. After I told her the polish was called Trophy Wife, our friendship was sealed. Rebecca number two, or namesake as she has been bequeathed by the Becca Mafia, was also new to the group when I moved to San Francisco. We bonded while sharing a plate at a packed dinner party, because if you learned one thing from our last episode, it's that mama loves to eat, and patience is a virtue neither of us has when it comes to food. Rebecca is also the only friend to make a special trip to visit me during our 10 months of travel. If friendship was a race, she'd be winning, which suits her competitive spirit perfectly. And so you can see why the name Rebecca would be so appealing. These are my people. Having a pseudonym was a bit of an afterthought before I moved out west, but once I landed in San Francisco, a wonderfully diverse city where English is often someone's second or third language, I needed to embrace a name that was easy to understand, easy to write down, and easy for someone else to read, regardless of their native tongue. And so I adopted Rebecca for my new Best Becca crew. And it stuck. If a table needed to be reserved, a name written on a cup, or a passing introduction made, I almost always used Rebecca. By the end of our time in San Francisco, my friends had adjusted to my new alias. Perhaps they would still check first for a reservation under my name, but would then quickly correct themselves. Or it might be under Rebecca? So, when we set off on our world tour, I decided I would use my given name for flight reservations, doctor visits, or if someone had the potential of being in my life for more than 24 hours. For all other instances, my name was, and is, Rebecca. A fact that holds true even when Rebecca came to visit us in Thailand. As a tour guide for our day trip asked for her names, Rebecca answers, with her actual name of course, and I follow, I'm also Rebecca. Oh yes, really, I add with a convincing smile. Don't worry, it makes things easier. And it really does. Language barriers in a foreign country are difficult enough without you throwing obscure names and sounds like R into the mix that confuse people's brains and their tongues. And this small lie makes a lot of people's lives easier. The Thai clerk at the ferry counter, the Colombian cashier at our favorite coffee shop, the man from South Korea on our diving boat, and me. Small day-to-day interactions become smoother and more interesting when I don't need to spend the first five minutes of every conversation explaining my name, spelling it out, and convincing them that it's a weird name, even in America. Because these people aren't reading my college application. Them remembering my name months from now and connecting with my accomplishments isn't important. As this typical lazy American is only bothered to learn the tiniest bit of one other language, I appreciate so much that they're speaking English to me, however basic it may be. I certainly don't want my unusual name to scare them off from a deeper conversation or from practicing a language much more bravely than I that they want to get better at. And so the fib continues. It's nice to meet you. My name's Rebecca. 
And then we can move on to a much more rewarding conversation. All it took was a little white lie. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of It's the Wine Talking. This is the first part in our series, Lies I Tell While Traveling. We may continue this series next week, or we may not. This is my podcast. I do what I want. Either way, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss your next dose of wit, wine, and occasional wisdom. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a quick review on iTunes or share this podcast with a friend. Thanks for listening. Cheers.